This week's episode is brought to you by Spring Break, which comes for the Avs in January for some reason. Safe to say this top line is the best in the league. Yeah, we are. As McCarr jumps in, moves it and shoots Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Seth, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for January 27th, 2020. Coming up on this All-Star Weekend show, the Colorado Avalanche may be riding the ship just in time for a sprint to the finish. We'll look back at 2019-20 Part 1 and look ahead to 2019-20 Part 2. But before we play the loose, say hello to this week's Disembodied Voices. Hey, Earl, how are you? I'm well, thank you. And hey, Jackie, how are you? Hello, hello. Things are good. Those of you who really like this show and what we do, I have good news. Next week will be the last week off for Burgundy Radio until the end of the season. Colorado will play four games almost every week from here on out. So as they pick up the pace, so will we. Now there's a lot of Sunday games coming up, especially in March, so you may see some odd release times. Stay tuned to at Burgundy Radio on Twitter for the latest on that. If you've given up on following me personally on Twitter for non-hockey reasons, Burgundy Radio has none of that, but all the updates for this show. You may have noticed that today's show is a little bit on the shorter side. Keep an eye out for a couple days from now, probably either Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll be releasing a full midterm eval of everybody on the Avalanche roster. It's a really good conversation. It was just way too much time to all cram into one show. So that's why I've dropped this little message after the fact into the beginning of this episode. Without any further ado, here's what we had to say for the normal episode. And we'll be back again in a couple of days with a full roster breakdown. So we start the show with a quick standings check because it's past January 1st and that's what we do. Colorado sits second in the West, seventh in the league with 62 points. That's six backs back, six backs, 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 six points back at St. Louis, four up on third place Dallas who do have a game in hand. Between 58 and 57 points are the Stars, Canucks, Oilers, Flames, Coyotes, and Golden Knights. So, high chance of sadness out in the Pacific for somebody, if either Chicago or Minnesota ever get their shit together. Winnipeg leads both of them, but they look to be in freefall at this point. The only Western teams more cooked than Nashville all play their games in California, and the Detroit Red Wings, if anyone is curious, are going to enter February with 28 points still, which is 13 back of the next teams. Gosh, you you hate to see it. (laughs) So I've come to see the end of this season as a competition between the Avs and the Stars for home ice. Do y'all see it that way, or is St. Louis still a viable target? No, I think that's fair, and I don't know if I've said it before on this show, but I don't really feel like winning the division is all that important. So, sure, it'd be nice, but I just, I'm not really looking towards that. I guess you should always look ahead, but I think getting the most points banking the most points ahead of Dallas is probably the important part of that. So I think that's fair to say the other teams in the central ball jumped around. Like you said, Winnipeg is falling and somehow Chicago's now past both Minnesota and Nashville, which is kind of crazy. So I don't know if one of those teams is going to surge and make a push, but yeah, realistically it should be between Colorado and Dallas for two and three which is, it always seems like in every division that 2-3 battle, I guess, is a little interesting between the teams, but it almost means like their playoff positioning is set and they don't have a lot to play for either. 
Yeah, how do y'all feel about I, the playoff format in general? Like with with regards to I don't to like that? it. I don't like it. I think, like I said, I think it sets up too many. Not division winners, but two and three. They're basically set. There's not there's not much to play for. Winning the division doesn't give you much. It doesn't give you a one versus eight matchup. I just and, and for the Avs, at least their opponents have all been different, especially with our little visit to the Pacific Division last year. But in general, like this, there's so many of the same matchups that happen over and over again. I don't understand why they can't do a one through eight. Yeah, it's I don't know. <sighs> I love the first round just because you get a lot of the same matchups, but they all seem to be good. I mean, the the first round is the fun round, and the second round seems to be kind of a drag. I agree um, with that completely. Yeah, it, if you made it sort of a conference-based system, I think that would swap around, but that would mean sort of half the number of good series depending on how the first round goes because you'd have a lot more blowouts in the first round so um you know it's it's tough to say i i I don't think it would change a ton either way but it i think this way it does tend to make the second round kind of a yawner for me it kind of comes down to like what you want your playoffs to be like are you trying to figure out who the best teams in the league are or are you trying to sort of do that but also be as entertaining as possible right because the, the current setup Colorado is second in the west and Dallas is I mean you could consider them third in the west yeah so you would have 1 versus 8 2 versus 3 and 4 versus 7 for some reason yeah I think right, I mean I, I think no it's it's, it's it. made for maximum chaos. And that's that's kind of what Then you still have upsets based. like like the Tampa Columbus was a 1 1 versus 8 and and that was an upset. So so, so was Calgary Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like there's there's so much parity at this point that you really don't need to go out of your way to create chaos. I don't yeah, think. I think that's fair. And I just, yeah, I mean, for me, the seeding is meaningless. So as long as you can secure yourself in the playoffs, it really doesn't matter to me where they end up. Yeah, and I mean, even I, I think <laughs> the, the reason if, they switched from a divisional format to a conference format in the first place was you ended up getting a lot of the same matchups all the time. You know, back back when they had divisions named after people instead of places. And it's almost like the team that gets to move over to the Pacific Division slot, if there even ends up being an extra Central Division team doing that, that's like the bonus. That That's the team that wins the seeding, is the one that gets the wild card and moves to the weaker conference. Because yeah, you dodge St. Louis. Do you think that when we finally have 32 teams, um, that they will abandon the, the transfer thing or make it pure divisional? It should be pure then. I don't think they'll they abandon it. I really don't. As, as I mean, long it, as you it's, play it's your conference, to, I more. mean, it's other than saying it's fun or it gives you know a stronger division, more teams. You know, you, you don't have the eight seven thing anymore. Um, so it's <clears throat> it's a little it, it, it is a little weird because I I don't know it. 
Like if you, I'm not sure how I feel about transferring over to other divisions. I mean, I think it's cool that they, the Avs could have been the Pacific Division champs last year, but other yeah, than the funny. novelty aspect, like yeah, if, if you stop doing that, then your playoffs get even more boring and predictable because you have to have to go through the same couple of teams every single year if you want to make it to the conference final. And but at the same time, yeah. doing the crossover way really just admits, hey, we should probably just be doing one through eight or one through sixteen to make this fair. Right. I, I think when there's 32 teams, it makes a lot of sense to move back to the conference format for a while. And I think that'll get stale too, but it just I think if you keep moving back and forth, you keep it fresh enough. Although I will say the one benefit to the current system is that Toronto seems to play Boston every year. <laughs> and that's hilarious. Well, they might be too crappy to get that this year. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so we're here on All-Star Day, long before the actual All-Star Games, which I have no plans to watch. Not sure about y'all. No. I'm still protesting. McCarr didn't make it, so. <laughs> I never had any intention. <laughs> did either of you tune in at all last night to the skill stuff? No, I, I was not. at the Eagles game. I was watching the Eagles game. So y'all had other stuff to do. I watched yeah. about half of it. And I've I've got to say, what they did to the women's game was alarmingly gross to look at. And that's probably what the All-Star games are going to look like, too. <laughs> With one team wearing white and the other wearing dark gray. And the puck has a dark gray trail for some reason. And the dynamic <laughs> boards are new and gross and distracting. And we'll get used to them and it'll be fine. But as of right now, it's just like, there's a lot going on on the ice and none of it has any color. I hate this. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> it's it's. I I think that I mean I like the look of the Avs jersey with the red uh, Avalanche logo, and then it's all silvery grayish white. Um, you can't see that. All you can see is the gray. Yeah, it's great. Like if you're looking three feet in front of you, it may be buying one in a store, but I, I just I don't think it it'll translate well to the ice. But what they did, what they used that game for, um, apart from exposing the women's game a little bit more, was to kind of do a proof of concept for the puck tracking stuff and the player tracking. Um, they they kept putting up like player speeds on the screen, and it it all seemed to be, if nothing else, functioning very well. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it was it was it was effective as a proof of concept. As a finished product, it was kind of hideous. I guess that's nice, but I I still. I still wonder how useful anything that they're going to put up on the screen during a game is. You know, like, it's cool to say, like, oh, this player shot the puck at 112 miles an hour, or, you know, this dude was skating at 26 miles an hour between the, the blue line and the red line or something like that. That's great, you know, sort of dimension in passing, but having a little bubble over his head, like a pop-up video on VH1, I don't know. Yeah, what what I kind of thought during that event was that it might be kind of nifty if on a platform, like a streaming platform, like NHL.TV, if you could turn that on and off. I think that'd be kind of neat. Yeah. If you're forced or, to look at it, mm, I don't know. Or you could do something like turn it on, like I want to know X player's speed at all times during this shift, and you, you can turn his speed on or something like that. You know, it's like if you're able to interact with it. Uh, no, that's a, oh. that that would be good, and you have to remember NHL.com yeah. is shit. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying like 2050 or something like that, but <laughs> when they get it dialed in. <laughs> so when we last met, Colorado had dropped three straight, including some real stinkers. They made it four on Tuesday the 14th. That's yet another loss to the Dallas Stars, although this one was in overtime, 3-2. Nikita Zadorov got credit for essentially a Stars own goal. And Gabe Landeskog got a tipping goal, but otherwise Ben Bishop was unreal in this game. 41 saves as Colorado outshot Dallas easily, despite leading most of the way. The Avs gave up two power play goals in this one, although one was called back after a greasy feeling offside challenge, which remains a theme. Special teams. I award the penalty kill one yike. What do we remember about this game? I remember that... Like you said, they got a lot of shots. They generated a lot of chances. But after the the two goals, pretty much, oh well, the scoring dried up. So, and then I think I think this was the game they had the power play chances and didn't get anything, which that's that's theme too. Um, I guess it set up the rest of the games of the week. Is usually when they play well, but they don't win, and everyone's frustrated. Did they actually start winning after that? Yeah, this was a, a game that was more fun to look back in retrospect than to watch it uh, in the moment. Um, just because, yeah, they were playing better. And uh, you can kind of throw the Pittsburgh game the week before into this because, you know, I, after struggling for a while, they got the two overtime losses and that kind of set up um, a little bit of a resurgence going into the break. So, and this you know, was like watching the karma. it was painful, but you can see what it was building towards now. It was like the karma payback game with Zadorov getting his goal and then the Avs winning the offside challenge. It's like the payback for the two things that happened to them the week before, but still didn't result in a win. Still got Bishop. Yeah. Because <laughs> if Colorado's going to face this team in the playoffs, they've got to find a way to get through Ben Bishop. It's kind of crazy how Dallas has changed their, their, uh, the way they play so drastically. Like they used to be the all offense, maybe shaky defense, and now they're just kind of like the new version of the Blues, but just aren't as big. Oh yeah, those, those games against Dallas used to be seven to five. Matt Duchesne hat trick. Semyon Varlamov somehow still stands on his head despite giving up five goals. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird because Dallas's defense isn't really built to be, you know, the Blues. You know, their their defense is actually fairly, I don't want to say small, but they're, I mean, they're not like, you know, bulky behemoth types. You know, they're they're more of a skilled defense um, that, you know, kind of leads their offense more than it does sort of shut down people. So it it is a weird style for what they've got. Guys like Miro Haskinen, who are just more like we're going to move the puck north and south as opposed to we're just going to punish you for having it. Right, and Klingberg, I mean, you you know, you you have some very skilled defensemen on that team and it's just kind of weird that they've gone for you know, such a an anti-skill style. Anti-skill. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it what they're doing in my opinion really doesn't fit their personnel very well, but it's obviously working, but it's not what I would do. <laughs> Well, that game was a big fat L, and against a team I never want to see L's to. 
But that was the end of the L's. The following Thursday, San Jose came to town and played like garbage, so the Avs took him to the cleaners. 4-0 your final. Really nice to see Grubauer bring home the shutout amid the struggles he's had lately. Colorado got goals yeah. from their murderer's row of uh, Valeri Natushkin, Ryan Graves, and Matt Calvert. Huh. Oh, Kel McCarr got one, I guess. <laughs> the Avs dominate a bad team, win 4 to nothing, and McKinnon, Landeskog, and Ranton and all go without a point. Discuss. Yeah, I was wondering how, <clears throat> going into that, I was wondering if that was going to be the kind of game where those guys kind of sat back and let, um, you know, that sort of the, the bottom six, maybe bottom nine guys really take the lead and, and um, not, not, not use it as a rest game, but, you know, at least make sure you win because as bad as the Sharks are, you you know, that's a playoff rematch. You want to win the game, especially at home. So, um, but it, yeah, it kind of turned out like that because you had a, you know, a lot of depth scoring in that game, which was, you know, it was cool to see. Yeah, I was a little worried about this one just because the Sharks had played them tough for so many years and I know they're not good this year, but when I was watching the game, yeah, the, they looked like Chicago. They Their defense looked like the Blackhawks. So, that's yeah, like Natushkin going around Burns. That was so <laughs> yeah, fun. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, we talked about Martin Jones not being good, and it is kind of crazy that they just never addressed that at all. Like they just figured he'd just get better spontaneously. But um, yeah, that D is ugh. That that's pretty bad. They're gonna want to think about that. So this was finally a fun game after all the struggles, and they finally were. And they scored, like, uh, Nuke scored, I think, minute or a minute and a half into the game. So mm-hmm. it was perfect. Yeah. Just, it's just set the table perfectly. And, um, but I, I think the top line struggles is a theme as well. For me, it feels like they've showed up in the first period a lot. Like, especially in the Dallas game, I thought they played well in the first period. But after that it seems like they get pretty quiet and and you want to see other lines and depth players chipping in because that's how you win games, but you also win games with your top line going and that hasn't really been happening lately. Well, I, I mean, and, and the reasons people are positing are, you know, there are quite a few of them, but I, I think, I think that, combination of those three guys has gotten stale um i tend to think that miko has a hand injury because he really seems to not be able to handle the puck at all uh along with dealing with his high ankle sprain or whatever it was it you know he's obviously a little bit slower um yeah because there's there's some plays he's not making that he can make i've watched a couple of some of the the replays that they've shown when he's you know, kind of made some bad shots or bad passes or not able to handle a pass or something like that. And it just looks like he's healing it off the stick a lot. It's just the, the, the blade of the stick is not where it would be if you want to make the right play. And, I mean, we know Miko has incredible hand-eye coordination and skill. So it just it says to me that there's something wrong with one of his hands, probably the lower one, probably his left hand. Um, that that's making it difficult for him to use his skill that way. So, you know, hopefully during this break, he's able to get that 
uh, a little bit dialed in and, and also rest his ankle a little bit more. Yeah, we're hoping this is the magical healing break. And for Donskoy, too, who is still out without concussion. Yeah, I mean, I tend to think, like, if if there wasn't an all-star break right now and then the games were a little bit more important, he, he probably would have come back a little sooner. I think they said that. Yeah. And um, and I believe it. He, he'd been skating. I think he actually even went through practice. So I do believe he'll be back when the break's over. I almost wonder, though, a little bit of a tinfoil theory, is that Bednar didn't want to decide between scratching Jost or Kamenev. So he, he wasn't rushing the decision either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, both those guys are playing pretty well, and I, I think especially in Kamenev's case, because he's probably the more likely to be scratched, um, just just because he is the 13th floor, forward pretty much, and they don't like changing things. Um, and, and Bednar gave some praise to Kevin over, you know, o- over a few games this month, so... Um, you know, it's tough for a coach to, to want a guy to turn the corner, looks like he is, and then suddenly has a decision to make. And, and you know, I can see wanting to defer that. And it was a good time for Jost to get a couple points and for Nieto to get a goal. I think he got, yeah, Nieto got a goal too. Good yeah. timing for them. Soon. soon. Soon in the games as we talk about them. Um, it's just, it's really, at the same time, the Avalanche have definitely established a track record of being very cautious with head injury and making sure that guys are definitely ready before they come back on the ice. I mean, you, you can say what you will about hockey players coming back from injury too soon, but that's usually legs and hands and shoulders or, you know, collapsed you know, rib cages. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the Avalanche like to slow play, play their concussions, and it's really hard to fault them for it. Sure, Absolutely. Yeah, At the end of the day, just a, yeah, a couple extra games a week is isn't much to be extra sure. So let's move on to a, a game that was maybe less fun, but had a much more exciting result than a 4-0 yeah. domination. Because on Saturday, the goddamn St. Louis Blues came through. And the Avs win a really crunchy game with goaltending optional. 5-3 the final. Neither starting goalie could manage a safe percentage north of 900 here. Nathan McKinnon gets a goal early, followed later by McCarr, two for Andre Burakovsky, and Landis Cog into the empty net with two seconds to play. Rude. The penalty kill went 75%, and the power play went over, but that didn't end up mattering as the Avs play the Blues game and come out on top. How do we feel about that one? It Certainly was good. crazy. <laughs> it's nice, nice to beat the top team, your your division rival, and um, and they pulled Bennington twice in Denver, so that's a nice little streak. Yeah, yeah, it's looking like maybe the shine is coming off of that guy a little bit. Definitely against us. I mean, he's he's sort of in Dubnik territory now. Well, he like I've seen breakdowns of his save percentage by month, and it is going the wrong direction if you're Jordan Bennington. Yeah, I mean, but I think I, it's fine. I do like. I think it's the right direction, <clears throat> but he won't be. I, I do <laughs> like that they. I, I do like that they they did play the Blues game and beat them at it. Um, now all they have to do is do that in St. Louis to really, you know, to really complete... slay the dragon. But right. It's nice for um, them I, to have some confidence against against this team, though. And, I, and 
it, it was a really low event game. I mean, the, the teams combined for less shots than the Avs had themselves against Dallas. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty plotting. Um, I mean, they're, but it didn't feel it, you know? I, it, it yeah, because a lot of the way. shots were good scoring chances, so it didn't feel like nothing was happening. Like, right. Like, like a lot of the cheap shots didn't happen. Yeah. A lot of the the garbage shots, I guess I should say, didn't like, happen. So Compare that game, which the shot total was 24 to 18 for the whole game, versus the first period against Detroit, which is 18 to 12 shot total for just a period. <laughs> which one is more exciting? <laughs> Yeah, if I uh, remember right, it was nice because this game was close for a while. It was close until it was the McCargle, right? So that's what really, or that was their second goal, was the McCargle. So that's what broke it open. And, and that was a really exciting goal, too. Can we just say what a goal that was? Yeah. <laughs> <Holy> <laughs> crap. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That that's when Makar brings that game changing ability he has, and um, good time to make a difference against the St. Louis Blues. That was the one where he pulled it across the blue line, that went around the defender, and and then wrist shot, dragged it, and, and the wrist shot right into like he couldn't have placed that any more perfectly. And I'm not sure how much of a chance Bennington even had on it. There was a lot of traffic in front. McCarr's got a real talent. Um, kind of, he's kind of like got the thing that Tyson Berry has on the on the power play specifically. Maybe not so much five on five, but McCarr has that eye where he can he can get a puck through traffic, and he's already showing that. Like he hasn't he hasn't even had time to really learn the league yet. Like holy crap! Yeah, it was a superstar goal. It might not make the top five highlights of the year goal it wasn't super flashy but just the whole play put together plus he even got the zone entry to start it and just putting the whole play together in the game how it happened it was that was a superstars goal one thing i thought was interesting was after the game i i almost felt like Jared Bednar didn't like that goal. I, that was um, weird. Bednar's <laughs> description of that was really strange. And the question was like, boy, that guy's pretty skilled, right? I mean, it wasn't even like a a question that a reporter was looking for a weird angle. Like, I think he was just trying to set up the, let's talk about Makar. And yeah. Bednar's and like... Well, JB wanted to talk it. about... Ryan Graves. <laughs> it's but, just, it's well, just baffling that shot it earlier. Well, he probably would have shot it into somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just it it's baffling that he, he took that opportunity to praise a guy like Graves for just hauling off and slap shotting <laughs> it from the point all the time rather than making a skilled play and scoring a goal. So Like I get it know, probably I, makes coaches nervous to see him go along the blue line, but yeah, you, you wouldn't be that worried because McCarr can recover that. Like if he loses it, there's a good chance he's the first guy on the puck, and he's probably going to get another entry with it. So, yeah, it's not right. really the <laughs> the scariest thing in the world. Yeah, that's just such a but weird take that I, happened there. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, it just it's really scary that you know from what we've seen during the you know be, before this little bounce back. Uh, we were all lamenting 
the copious amounts of point shots, and that was, you know, that that always seems to be one factor in when the Avs are not playing well, is sort of the frequency of point shots seems to go high. And it's not and even here's the coach saying this is something he wants to see, he likes seeing it, and you're just look, you're like, dude, it's losing your games, you know. Seriously. When you see those point Look shots, a, a lot of times that's because the team is holding you to the outside, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about when you can clearly tell that the point shot was the end goal. Yeah. Like they the, probably all told, shoot more from the point. Look for, look for tips. Look for deflection. That's the only way you're going to beat this guy, they say about Ben Bishop every time they play, and it never fucking works. Yeah. No, it's like when you got a 3% chance of scoring a goal, I mean, you can't pass that up. <laughs> what's insane is then when they start passing from the slot back to the point that just makes me want to turn the game off yeah. it's like th- this is not happening today this is terrible I know. You, see, you see a wonderful zone entry you're able to penetrate deep in the zone gain a little space and the first thing you think of alright cool I'm going to pass it back to Ian Cole <laughs> <laughs> Finally, on Martin Luther King Day, those god-awful Detroit Red Wings limped into Denver, and after maybe the least watchable period of hockey we've seen of this whole season, Colorado came out with a whole new energy in the second, and they rode that to a 6-3 victory. Nazem Kadri and McKinnon with a pair each. That's goals 29 and 30 for Nate. Nieto emerges from the shadows to get one of his own, and another goal for Ryan Graves. That's eight for him now. Shot counter was a cool 46-25 in favor of the Avalanche, too. With their 12-shot third period, the lowest number they managed in this game. Wow, the Wings are terrible. <laughs> yes, they are. They do still have some offensive talent, but uh, it, you knew it was a matter of time. It This game was tied for a while, which that was unfortunate, but they they finally got the goals to go in and cruise yeah, to the victory. I was texting back and forth with my friend who's a Red Wings fan. And, <clears throat> um, you know, what I took from that is they do have some good forwards and, and some talent that, that looks like in a couple of years should be some you know, a part of something decent if they can fix the rest of the club. Um, I thought Howard played, you know, he played a pretty good game. And um, he, he he played a, a Jonas Gustafsson game. He, he played a pretty good first minute, period, let's say. Yeah, yeah. He kept the minute. He had that game where you go, how in the world did you save that? And then five minutes later, you're going, how in the world did you not save that? <laughs> yeah. But their yeah, defense were... is so bad. They have zero on the blue line. And that's really not something they've been using their high picks for over the past couple of years. So that's something that, that Iserman's really going to have to dig into. Um. You know, if they, <clears throat> you assume they're going to bounce back, and they could be Buffalo, I guess. But you know, I, I figure with Eiserman there, they're they're probably going to have a fairly su- successful rebuild. Um, but they they need to address that, or they're not going anywhere. So this game did stay tied for quite a while, um, and I'd like to address why that was because the first period saw like three minor penalties worth of time. Oh, that's right. This, it was all that's that's right. This is awful. It, this was where both teams basically had double minors. Yeah, and then then there were a couple other penalties. It, that is definitely one reason why this game was so bad to begin with. <laughs> well, it's just you know, <laughs> anytime you get in a special team, 
Yeah, and you, then the anytime abs you get in special teams I mean... battle with somebody, the, the abs are not going to be at their best. <laughs> okay, the Red Wings have the 31st ranked penalty kill. Yeah, but we scored once on them. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and five opportunities. <laughs> sure enough. And this was another good Makar play. It was the backdoor pass to McKinnon. Yeah. That was a really nice play in this game, too. Yeah, that was... Yeah, that's another thing. That was hot. I was into that. <laughs> yeah, McCarr with his crease passes from just ab above the goal line. Not, not, that's, not that that's a place you expect defensemen to be fairly skilled at, but yes, he's, he's skilled there, too. Um, he's getting really good at those crease passes, and... You know, that's just another incredible thing about him, I guess. <laughs> Not an all-star, though. Not an all-star. <laughs> no. He's, he's no David Perron. So, that's three in a row. That's five-game point streak. What's What's gone right this week? I agree. So maybe just, just everyone was a little bit better. The goaltending, I think, was a little bit better. The Everyone else contributing. I mean, we've talked about a lot of names that were on the score sheet in this week. You even had Jost, Nieto. Was this the week Kamenev had a point too? Or was that the previous week? Yeah, Kamenev's had two points lately, but... Um, I think it was more they, they were able to outscore their problems at 5v5. Yeah, if, um, if you don't pay close attention, you may be wondering why I didn't call Tyson Jost's name for scoring a goal. Uh, the goal he scored was actually off of Andre Burakovsky's boot, and they took it away from him like the next day. Yeah. He did still get a point, but yeah. Then he's back to no goals in like 30-some games. Yeah. Oof. But, and then but, I think know, the they've held it, they held it together. I think their team defense has been better over these few games. I, I don't know if I, I again I don't know about that. <laughs> they better. That's the one thing I still. I, that's that's one thing I still worry about. Just, I mean, I, I in three of the four games, or all of the games that weren't against San Jose, they let up three goals. Now, I mean, one of those obviously was overtime, so you know, yada yada. And... So somebody's gonna get one there. But I, I just, if we're yeah. gonna talk about team defense, I th keep thinking about that time that Nikita Zadorov has Sam Girard in the corner. Decides instead to reverse it off the boards to himself, fails at that, and so the puck comes out in front where Pierre Edward Belmar has left. So yeah, that that was the what was that the first goal against Detroit, the first goal that Detroit yeah. scored like two minutes into the game, and you're like, no, no, not this one, guys. <laughs> you're like, yeah. like that play ain't it? That that zone fly ain't it? Sam is there and available. Let's go. Yeah, and I I wrote about this a little bit this week, and it's it's something that I'm not sure you can fix in the middle of the season, but it, their their breakouts and their play with the puck deep in the defensive zone it just seems very high risk, low reward to me, and there just doesn't seem to be. I mean, we've talked about forward support a lot, but there just doesn't seem to be the redundancy. If something does go wrong, it just seems like there's there's very little time to recover when something like that happens. 
and and it happens all the time. You can blame the players for making dumb decisions all you want, but the, you know, as a coach, you've got to find a way to fix that. And I don't think just saying, "Well, you know, if we had done it correctly, it wouldn't have happened," is the right way to go about it. No, the answer is to get a rental defenseman, and he can make the same mistakes. <laughs> Well, the, the systems that get touted around the league as being the best defensively are the systems that have layers, that come at you in waves. Right. And so when when you have a play, and if it doesn't work, then now you got to rely on your goalie, that there's not a layer there. The goalie's not a layer. Yeah. No. He's frosting. So, I mean, when you look at that goal specifically, you say, yeah, it's a door-off, boneheaded move. Even if it had worked, what were you going to do? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, but there's it's a no dumb layer. Play. There's no yeah. backup layer because the forward has just fucked off to China. I don't know where he went. Yeah, and that's the redundancies that should be built into a play like that aren't there. And again, that's you know that that's deep systemic stuff, and it's just it's it'd be really tough to change things like that in less than a month. And in the middle of the season, so... Especially not at this point in the season, when you're about to be playing every other day for two months. Right. Um, so, I, 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 you know, there might be a band-aid they can make for that, um, but it's probably easier just to try to outscore those kind of problems. That is probably their strategy. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, as long as you face Martin Jones, Jimmy Howard, and the slumping Jordan Bennington, that'll work. Yeah, and honestly, the the Avs have had a fairly tough schedule as far as you know general league records go of of opponents, and it, it seems to be a little easier at times from now to the end, even though it's a it's a very high tempo. So, yeah, playing bad teams is not a guarantee. It'll no, probably no, be a lot harder than that. it needs to be. But... It does make it a little easier to outscore your problems, hopefully. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> that, hope so. That too. Hopefully we can try to keep this reasonably brief. But I don't think we'll get another chance for this conversation until the trade deadline. So, are there any specific players or types of player that you think the Avalanche should target at the deadline? which is February 24th, by the way. And are there any that you want to see them avoid, except the obvious, you know, like, avoid baddies? No shit. We'll get into it in a minute, who we expect the Avs to actually go after, but let's start with the dream. Don't worry about being real realistic. What are the targets? Draft picks. Um, for me, I my dream deal is trading Cole to the Maple Leafs for Jake Muzzin. That's interesting. Yeah. I just, for me, I don't think they need anything. I mean, sure, okay, trade for, trade uh, Jost for Panarin. Okay, cool. That that I'd like to see that. But <laughs> realistically, who's available? It, it's not going to move the needle. They have better, they have more depth players. Where who are you going to sit at this point? You can't even add somebody else. If if you are adding, you at the very least have to send somebody away. And I just think this deadline, if they could focus on moving some guys out that they have excess of or that are having career seasons, coffee and coal, cough, 
and add to their asset base, it will help them in the long run. It is not to get assets to have more draft picks that will never make it. It's to have more to spend during things like expansion draft, the next five or six deadlines, things like that I think are more important than going out and getting a player you don't need this year just so you can say that you are a contender and you did something. I agree with every bit of that, to be completely honest. Like, if there's not much this team can really do at the deadline that isn't, you know, marginal. So why are you going to pay trade deadline inflated prices for a marginal upgrade? Um, and then with with that said, in the past, it's really been a joke um, that we, we've made fun of the front office for saying, you know, do, for doing very little and coming out and saying, well, we like our guys. But the team's results are there this season. If you come out and say we like our guys, I'll say, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. If they back up the last five games over the next couple of weeks, there really isn't much reason to acquire anything. Because um, the the holes that they have, I mean, upgrading your fourth line is dumb and expensive. Uh, we've heard Chris Kreider's name out there. Is he is he a big upgrade on Burakovsky? I don't think so. He you know, sure maybe is expensive. He, is. As one. he sure is expensive. I forget who it was, so if you're listening, I'm sorry if I'm taking your point. But someone said, if you're not playing the guy next to McKinnon, why, why are you going out and getting somebody? Yeah. So are you even going to play Kreider next to McKinnon? Maybe. Maybe not. And he's I the top guy in the market. He's <laughs> so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and in the terms of, of avoiding things... I mean, I, I obviously I have just said avoid doing much of anything. Uh, we we know the Avs are going to make an AHL guy for guy swap. They always do. Um, but one specific thing that I would like like to not see them do, no matter how much I want to yell, make a save during games sometimes, is don't make a goalie move. They don't work during the season. It ain't worth it, homie. Yeah, I mean, even if you're replacing Bebo, it's it's not worth it. No, no, they they should have learned the lesson there. And then you can't carry three goalies. It, that's dumb. It's just you kind of made your bed and you just have to deal with the goaltending that you have. They barely want yeah. to carry seven defenders. <laughs> You're not going to carry three yeah. goalies. Now, as for expectations, obviously we hear the avalanche connected to every name on the market. And I think that's kind of what you want is to hear the avalanche connected to everybody. We want them to be seeing what the prices are on literally everything. Um, even if the end goal is to then not do anything about it, but yeah, if there's value there, I don't have a problem with it. It's just that value and the trade deadline don't go hand in hand often. They really don't. So what are what are we expecting to see happen? Other, My expectation, other than TV being extremely anxious, it's <laughs> truly the worst the worst day of the hockey year. I just absolutely hate that day. But um. I expect them to use the Leafs' third-round pick. I think ever since they got that, they've earmarked it to spend and um, use that pick to get somebody like Nemestikov that they don't need. But they got to feel like they did something. Trade your own pick. The Leafs will be higher. (laughs) They don't have their own third. Oh, yeah. They don't have their own second either. They sure don't. If they move that first this year... They're going to set themselves up. A lot of the teams that have had a, had a no draft class have fallen off and uh, a couple years down the line. And it's not good. 
So I think that they will use that Leafs third. They'll try to keep their first, please God, and just get the best player they can get, and hopefully that's all they do. And maybe give A.J. Greer a new home and call it a day. In Anaheim. <laughs> he's, he's just such a duck. It just makes so much sense. <laughs> um, I... I don't. I really don't know what to expect. I, I don't think they're dying to tinker much as long as what I said earlier about if if they can back up what they did in the last five games, if they can back that up over the next couple weeks. I think I think management will probably want to do the most minor of things, which would be sending AJ Greer to the Ducks and, and maybe picking up another AHL goalie. Well, um, if they see if they do too well, then they think they're going to win the cup this year. So then they're going to use everything. I don't think they'll do too well. <laughs> <laughs> Still got the power play and the penalty kill there, so I mean that's true. Sort of a built-in limiting factor. Um, I you know I I do think that it's very tempting to take that Leafs third and and get a a veteran face-off winner, bad veteran type guy. Um. That that I don't expect it, but that's it wouldn't surprise me if that's what they do. So last season we talked about the Matt Calvert line, how we, we all kind of came to an agreement that if the player had fewer points than Matt Calvert, it was not worth the addition. I think that's enough, that's fair to use that again. Well. Great job, Matt, sort of limiting what what we can look at. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> seems better with you. Alongside you, he's having a little bit of a career year, though. Let's let's maybe look at say Matt Nieto as the line. I think we'll see. I think they have less I mean, need for a depth guy, so I think the Matt Calvert line is still fair. I mean, if you trade Matt Nieto for someone that's exactly like Matt Nieto but different, <laughs> that you know that wouldn't surprise me either. Like maybe a different player but with the same production. Yeah. The reality is, they almost need, if they're bringing in a body, they almost need to get rid of a body. It's like me and Brian. I think they have to. I mean, I really don't think they can just add a guy. The closet's full. Like, you bring one in, you have to throw one away. No, you don't. I mean, and don't forget, we've got Willie lurking. I mean, Willie's going to come back on the second to last day of the season. (laughs) Right. Is that another thing? Is he coming back? So I would like, I would love to get clarity on that. Just, is he done or. Is he somebody that you're foreseeing being on this roster at the end of the year, which is another body? I, I honestly think he could probably come back within a couple weeks, if need be. But they're just going to keep him out until two or three games remaining and let him go nuts in the playoffs. Except he won't, because he won't be in any kind of game shape. No, he'll well, skate with the team for six weeks. And... <laughs> it will ease their rental. Yeah. And... That I'm for that. Yeah. All right. Well, coming up in those all-important next two weeks, Colorado come back and hit the road starting on Saturday the 1st. That's in Philadelphia, 5 o'clock Mountain against the Flyers. The Avalanche will not have played for two weeks at that point. Philadelphia, for their part, will have faced Pittsburgh the night before. Then Mm. on Tuesday, it's off to Buffalo for a 5 o'clock Mountain start versus the Sabres. I thought they stopped doing that. Well, they they largely did, but there's still a couple of of things that that are kind of like that. And because the NHL scheduler is an asshole to the Avalanche, guess who gets to face it? (laughs) Then on Tuesday, it's off to Buffalo for a 5 o'clock Mountain start versus the Sabres. 
Thursday the 6th is at 5.30 for some reason in Ottawa to hang out with the Senators. And finally on Saturday, Colorado are in Columbus, 5 o'clock Mountain against the Blue Jackets. That game is on Altitude 2. All others are on Altitude Original, assuming you have the ability to tune in to those channels, of course. The team will wrap up the road trip on Sunday with a traveling back-to-back against a divisional opponent in Minnesota, because the NHL as a scheduler is an asshole. And that one's a national game, because of course it is. I, I've said this before, but I absolutely hate the whole, oh, let's just add on a division game to a four or five game road trip. Just because they're right there. Why don't they just stop by and play a game? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, I think in general, their schedule's been fairly decent. I don't, I think there's been a, at least a decrease of stupidity. But to me, that is doing them a disservice. Like, how they did that with St. Louis earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. Like, that is not the team you just stop by and play. You don't (laughs) play your division opponents on a back-to-back, on the end of a five-game road trip to the East Coast, just, hey, we're flying by. We'll just play you. And it just yeah. happens to be St. Louis, who just happens to be the best team in the West and Avalanche Kryptonite at the same time. So he looked at that on the <coughs> schedule and said, oh, that's an ugly loss. And guess what? <laughs> <laughs> it was. But otherwise, this this concludes their East Coast, I believe. And uh... there's some... I'll double check that. They see they the East Coast road trip. Is that you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that's the last Eastern Conference. I think that's their last Eastern road trip. I think they have one that goes Carolina, Nashville, Detroit. Yeah, that's I guess sort of. Yeah. So I mean, I see. But, have, I think that you're basically right. This this is an interesting mix of teams. <laughs> uh, they absolutely have to be. Uh, Buffalo and Ottawa. That's that's like, come on, you ha- you have to. Uh, I know Philly's been decent, and I Columbus is actually. Yeah, they've um, been real good. Yeah, extremely good, and um, that could be an interesting game. I know that we beat them in Denver, but that was several months ago. So that was before Elvis entered the building. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm in. I'm probably the most interested. At, uh, with that one, the Columbus game, and then the Philly is so hard to tell with such a long break. How are they going to play? I don't, I, I don't know if they've had the greatest record in Philly. They tend to beat them here, but then in Philly, it's a little bit more difficult. So, um, are we counting the Minnesota game or not? Since we might do a show before that game, I think we're probably going to record before that game. That's the way it looks. So, okay, so I'm going to abstain from. <laughs> From picking that game. Um, He'll just make us sad anyway. Yeah. I'm going with six points. I think maybe they've turned a corner. They've gotten into a groove, which, of course, then you have an 11-day break. But I think they can play fairly well on this trip. Maybe they'll drop the Philly game and then win the other three and get six points. Yeah, I think Columbus is going to be the toughie out of all these. Um, I think they should win the other three. Um, you know, I, I think five points is out, out of eight. You know, not counting Minnesota game. I think five points out of eight is probably the minimum you'd really want to see on a trip like this. Um, four would really not be great. Six is where you want to be. <clears throat> um, I'll, I'll pick six as well. Yeah, I think six is definitely the target. I mean, obviously eight's always the target. I think I think six is the realistic target, and 
five is probably more realistically likely. If they get six, it'll probably mean they won in overtime, is what I'll say. And yeah. they don't do that a whole lot. So I'm p- I'm going to pick five. All yeah, right. I think that Philadelphia game just sort of that that's either going to be a one uh, that's going to be the over yeah it's going to be the overtime game I think I think that's going to be a game where the first period is an absolute shit show in the Avalanche end and the third period is the opposite yeah I think the Columbus game could be overtime I could see that low scoring I could see I I I could see the Avs extremely befuddled by Columbus the way they're playing now they're just they're <laughs> on you big time. Don't expect the Rangers to do much, then, eh? Yeah, that's. I'm not going to say it's a guaranteed loss, but that's that's the one I kind of expect the loss to come from. But then the week after that, just to to peek ahead a little bit, is very exciting because you've got other than the traveling back to back against this stupid Minnesota Wild, you see Ottawa at home, you see Washington at home, who are the top team in the league right now, but the Avalanche always play them very well, and then that Saturday is Stadium Series. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I mentioned it before, but it's interesting how they went from five home games to five away games, and then they'll be back to five home games. So that sets up as another interesting homestand. Yep. Then they have Tampa coming in, who's also playing a lot better than when they yeah, faced they them earlier in the year. So maybe don't expect another Joe's Tat trick. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. Sports is weird. Don't yeah. bet against it. Well, re- regardless of whether Joe's pulls in another hat trick against the Lightning or not, you know, you can find out here. Like we said at the top of the show, we will be taking our last week off for the foreseeable rest of the season. You never know what might happen. Um, and then we'll be back at you. It'll, the, this, the, honestly, the podcast will probably drop it during the Wild game, if I had to guess. So um, you can probably check that one out after the game if you need some you know, calming down before bed. Um, but otherwise, it'll be Monday as usual from here on out on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts on Google Play, on whatever you use to catch RSS-based podcasts on your phone. Burgundy Radio is the name of the show, at which you know because you got to this one. Keep your head up the dirty areas, and we will see you in two weeks. My husband vacated to Home Depot. Wow, what's he getting? I don't I don't know. It's kinda of scary, right? He's there alone. <laughs> <laughs>